AT&T connects an ode to podcast. Connect the alarm, change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Moments like seeing my son's team cheer him on mean a lot to me. But after being diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer or MBC, which is breast cancer that has spread to other parts of the body, they mean even more. I take Ibrance, palbociclib. Ibrance 125 milligram tablets with an aromatase inhibitor is for adults with HR positive HER2 negative NBC as the first hormonal based therapy. Ask your doctor about Ibrance and visit Ibrance.com. Ibrance may cause low white blood cell counts that may lead to serious infections. Ibrance may cause severe inflammation of the lungs. Both of these can lead to death. Tell your doctor right away if you have new or worsening symptoms, including trouble breathing, shortness of breath, cough, or chest pain. Before taking Ibrance, tell your doctor if you have fever, chills, or other signs of infection, liver or kidney problems, are or plan to become pregnant, or are breastfeeding. Common side effects include low red blood cell and low platelet counts, infections, tiredness, nausea, sore mouth, abnormalities in liver blood tests, diarrhea, hair thinning or loss, vomiting, rash, and loss of appetite. Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode of the PhD Podcast. My name is Ebony, and before we begin, let's do a little housekeeping. Um, make sure you follow me on all social media platforms at The Professional Homegirl, The PhD Podcast, and Ebony Beauty. Also, make sure you visit my websites at theprofessionalhomegirl.com and ebonybeauty.com. And for those of you who cannot spell my first name, it is E-B-O-N-E. And last but not least, make sure you rate and review the PhD podcast on all major streaming podcast platforms. Please keep in mind that all of my guests are anonymous, so let's begin. So this week's episode really reinforced and really made me believe that there is good people (laughs) out there. Um, I found my guests um, doing a lot of research because I wanted to make sure I was providing really good stories for you guys. And her story is just amazing. Like, it made me believe in people. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So let's begin. When did you first hear the word surrogate? Where were you? Uh, I was in health class, actually, in high school when Mm -hmm. I first heard about... um, (laughs) the word surrogate, I, we were doing um, health and wellness and studying about, um, you know, fertility and, you know, making babies. <laughs> and we were talking about how some people unfortunately don't have that ability mm-hmm. um, for one reason or another. And so one of the alternates that we talked about was surrogacy. And so that just like really piqued my interest then. So I know there's like different types and I didn't know. I thought it was just like one type and that's it. Mm-hmm. What are some of the different types of, of surrogacy? 
So there's actually two different types of surrogacy. One is traditional surrogacy and one is gestational surrogacy. So traditional is when um, the carrier uses her own eggs. Mm. Um, so the, the baby would be um, 50% related to her. The other type is gestational, which is where the surrogate is pretty much just the incubator. The fertility clinic combines an egg and a sperm within a Petri dish, and then it's inserted into her body via IVF, which is um, in vitro fertilization. Um, and she just carries the baby to term. Wow. So yeah. what are the requirements? So the requirements are, uh, it, well, actually, it's going to vary depending on your agency and depending on your state. But more times than not, a lot of times they want you to have a BMI under 32. Um, mm -hmm. They want you to have had and be raising at least one child of your own. But um, you did it before you had, no, you had a child afterwards. I know I had a child before. So right, my daughter, I have a two-year-old and um, she'll be three in July. So I already had a child of my own. And when I started the process, she was six months old. Oh, Mm -hmm. So what is so before we get into your story, what is also like some pros and cons? So I think um, some of the pros um, are you really get to give this amazing gift. Like that is yes. number one, the best thing ever. You get to help this couple that otherwise would not have a child um, mm -hmm. have a baby, especially when most of them have been waiting for so long. Um, the other pros is that it kind of gets to help your own family because there is compensation involved, especially if you go through an agency. Yeah, as you'll find with most surrogates, we don't do it for the compensation because, you know, when you talk about what it actually is, it's um, comparable to what our bodies go through to carry these children. Yes. But it does help support your family as you're going through the process of giving this gift to someone else. So that's another pro. As far as a con, again, like with any other pregnancy, you don't know what that pregnancy is going to consist of, whether or not you're going to have morning sickness, whether you'll have complications. Just like carrying a baby of your own, you cannot foresee what complications you may or may not have. And so if you do happen to have a troublesome pregnancy, you kind of have to see it through anyway. And that yeah, will limit like your ability yeah, to work, to, to take care of your own family, things like that. So I would say that's one of the biggest cons, especially in my situation. And with the fee, is the fee something that you both agree, like both parties agree on or? Yes. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. So, so basically, like the fee, again, is uh, state specific. Some certain states don't allow surrogacy. Other states mm. do. Um, so depending on the state that you live in, which I live in California, so that's one of the higher paid surrogacy states because of cost of living. But uh, typically, if you go through an agency, uh, they have a base rate that surrogates get paid. Um, if you do, if you have done surrogacy more than once, that rate goes up. But typically, oh, the parent wow. and the surrogate agree on the rate. And then it's that fee in addition to a couple of other things that the parents pay for. So how many times can you be a surrogate? So ultimately, you can be a surrogate as many times as your body will allow and as many wow. times as you're, you're medically cleared. So there's really no um, hard and fast number, really. But most people do it multiple times. Um, the, the, the surrogate I've met that has done it the most six times. Six times? Yeah, six times. She's Ooh, amazing. Child, and two of those were, were twins. Yeah, two sets of twins. So. Wow, mm -hmm. that is amazing. So is right. it like, is it kind of like a job in a sense? Yeah, for some people it is. Yeah, because they really love being pregnant. They've already had children of their own. And this gives them, again, an opportunity to bring income into their home and take care of their own families, but to do something they love. Some women, myself included, just really love the feeling of being pregnant. And wow. so for them, it doesn't feel like work, but it does end up kind of being 
a job for them because they, you know, every, they wait for a year in between and then they do it again just because they love it so much. So, yeah. Wow. Ooh, that is amazing. So, because right? <laughs> it's like certain things you never think about that, that can actually be a job, but to some people, well, I guess that's what anything you love, because if you really have a love and a passion for it, then it's not work. Exactly. 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 And I, I, you know, some of the criticisms I get is like, oh, like, it makes no sense for you to do that. Like, number one, the money's not worth it. Number two, you know, it just makes no sense for you to get paid to do something like that if you're really doing it out of the goodness of your heart. But, you know, my argument to that is like, it's no different no, no, than no. being like, you know, yeah, being a pastor exactly. or something like that. Like, just because you love it doesn't mean it can't be turned into some type of stream of income for you, right. which ultimately, like, there's it's no better job. Now. Right. Yeah, right. There's no better job than doing what you love. My dad always told me growing up, if you find something that you love and you do that day to day, you'll never work another day in your life. And so some women just really, really love doing this. Wow. And you're also very young. I am. I am. I am 29 and now. <laughs> Um, yeah. When I started the pro- yeah, I had my daughter at 26. So yeah, I'm still fairly young. Wow. So let's talk about your journey before you became a surrogate for the um, before you became a surrogate. So I remember when I was reading, and I realized you was in health class. And one thing that stood out to me is because you are a black woman that you mm-hmm. didn't see anyone that looked like you that was doing what you wanted to do. Correct. And I was Correct. just like, wow, that's so true. Because I never saw of any person of color as a surrogate right, right. <laughs> so exactly I, so I was like yo that is so cool and I think there's like to me it's just like well it's sometimes you don't even realize things unless somebody bring it to the forefront mm-hmm. so let's talk about um some of the challenges you had conceiving your own child and which led you to the point of being a surrogate Mm-hmm, absolutely so my husband and I um he's been my best friend since I was 15 years old I know you like a cute and- love story <laughs> So he is my boo, like to this day, like I cannot get enough. So we've been best friends since uh, we were 15 years old, but we started dating um, at 18, like when we actually moved out of that phase of like, oh, we're just friends to, oh my goodness, this could be something else. And so um, we started dating when we were 18 and we got married three months after I graduated from college. Mm. Um, And so initially, like our game plan was to be married for two years before starting a family. Obviously, we've been long time having a a daughter first and then a son was like always the game plan but we wanted to enjoy just being married for a while and be able to travel and just you know what I mean so yeah enjoy each other you know outside of just the stresses of school and everything else Mm -hmm. um and establish a life together and get our careers going so um that was the original game plan right well my heart my mind kind of got lost somewhere in there and about a month I see me a year into our marriage one day I just woke up and it was like a switch had flipped mm. and I was like oh my god I want to have a baby which was so weird because before I was fine and then one day I was just like oh my gosh I want to have a baby like I want to have a baby now and he's like whoa you're like switching up the plan here like what is <laughs> like stick to the plan girl <laughs> right he's like and I'm the planner so like for him for me to say that out of the blue he was just kind of like what like never do anything like like that really so I was like yeah let's have a baby like I want to have a baby now well he was a a bit reserved to the idea at first because um his father was an absentee father Mm. as was mine so his struggle was always um you know am I gonna be a good dad and so for me to spring that on him suddenly he was really like apprehensive yeah and I told him you know what I I don't want to stop my birth control or anything until you tell me that you're ready like I'm not that type of woman that's gonna you like 
okay right. we're having a baby um but when you're ready like now you know I'm ready so when you're ready let's talk about it so a few months later he came to me and he said you know what why don't you go ahead and stop your birth control like I am apprehensive about it but you know, if I, I'm more so like, if it happens, it happens, you know, right. like, I love you. I know we want to have a child together. So I know that we can do this. Like, you know, so I thought that was great. So I stopped my birth control. We went into like, not plan, you know, um, they call it not, not preventing mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> within the trying to conceive um, community. And so I told him, I was like, um, you know, a time had passed. It had been about six months, nothing had happened. So I started doing research at that point because again, mm. health class was so long ago. I don't remember oh, yeah. much six about it. A, but... um, and six months is a long time. Right. So I'm right. like, well, something should have happened. You know, we're both young by this time. We're 23 years old. Oh, six wow. months has passed. And I'm like, we're really young. And so I'm doing all this research that's saying, well, six months is actually normal for the average couple. It will take them about six months to conceive. If you've been trying for a year, that's when things maybe are to, you know, you should be concerned. You should seek help so I kept that in mind a year passed nothing happened and wow. so I was like oh my I can only happening? imagine how he was feeling too yeah so he, well he's still kind of calm at this point he's just like well it'll happen when it happens I'm the high strung one so he's like you're just overreacting <laughs> right like you know the research you know because I share all the research with him and he's like we're young like there's no reason to believe that no, as we're gonna woman, have any problems it wasn't connecting right but inside yeah. yeah I felt like something was off especially because I had been on hormonal birth control before and I just didn't know what could happen so at a year we went and we got um checkups um, with our my OB, his primary care physician, and they they basically told us the same thing. Well, yeah, it's been a year, but you guys are so young. Like it could just be because you're stressing about it. Like you know, relax. You know, just let it happen. Enjoy being married, and you know that's fine. Well, I'm not that type of person, so I dug in, did more research, that's good. started learning. Yeah, learning about mm-hmm. um, tracking your basal body temperature and you know, using ovulation predictor kits and things like that. So we started implementing those things. And I learned about the egg, um, egg meat sperm method, um, which is like really common within the fertility community, especially if you're trying to predict gender, things like that, things Mm. I didn't know before. So I really, really dug in and got it. I did research on my menstrual cycle to figure out when my luteal phase was, and you know what. Yeah, that's just like a woman when a woman just, wants something, right? Right. <laughs> I was gonna figure in, it okay? out. <laughs> like you could not tell me anything to the point where I was sharing it on my Instagram by this point because my husband didn't understand what I was feeling inside, and mm-hmm. I was like, I need an outlet. I need to find somebody else who understands. I wasn't ready to talk to my family and friends. Uh, they kept pressuring us like, oh, when are you guys going to have kids? Not aware of what was already going on right. and the anxiety that that was creating inside of me. So I yeah. started sharing to my Instagram anonymously at first. Um, I just created a new Instagram separate from my private one. And I started posting about what I was doing. I ended up discovering this whole community, yeah. hashtag TTC community. Um, and I found all of these women who were going through the exact same thing as wow. me. And they're like, wait, you were researching this? Tell me what I can do. I started helping them and they were getting pregnant using the information. I was, I was, like, was really pissed. So I was like, what is happening right now? Like, I know this stuff works. Why is it happening for us? It was crazy. Right. Um, in between there, we even had like, at one point, I have no way to officially confirm, but I did have like a faint pregnancy test um, around the second year that we were trying to conceive. But then after that, it disappeared. Um, I didn't know what that meant. I didn't go to the doctor, but I did have a heavier flow after that. So when I looked into it more, 
and did more research. What it seems to be was that potentially it had a chemical uh, pregnancy, which is like an early miscarriage. Before yeah, so you miscarried. Yeah, so I, wow. that was pretty devastating because I'm like, I know I saw the line, you know, and then the next day it was gone, which was, so, you know, at that point I realized that I had had a chemical loss. And so I was like, I don't know what's happening, but we need to get more help. Like, this is just becoming too overwhelming. Mm-hmm. By now, I've shared it with my, I'm sorry, I have my toddler here. No, oh, you're okay, <laughs> fine. This is so, perfect um, for the story. <laughs> right, right. She's, she's right here in the mix of it all, as you can. Yes, I wish Okay, babe. So, so ultimately, um, at that point, I was like, we need more help. We went to another appointment. And I told my, you know, the doctors were still saying the same thing, but we're two in, you know, past two years in now. And I was absolutely like, no, you have to run tests. Like, I know there's something wrong. I'm telling you there's something wrong. So she said, well, we should do a a sperm analysis on your husband first because it's cheaper. You know what I mean? And, you know, a lot of times, 40% of the time, it's the man. I know societally, we don't talk about that, but 40% of the time, it's the man. And I said, no, no, no. I've been on birth control. I've messed up my hormones. Like, it's me. Like, let's test. I don't care if it's more expensive. Let's test me first. So they did all the testing, um, which included like ultrasounds and and tracking my cycles, which again, a lot of that I already had because I brought it into the appointment. I had been doing it already. And she's like, honey, you should have been pregnant a million times over right now. Like you literally have, like if we saw a uterus in a textbook, it would look like yours. Like that's how perfect your uterus is. And so she's like, I'm telling you, we we should do your husband's test. So we did my husband's testing. How was that conversation? Because I also feel, I I know somebody who's in a um, situation similar to this story Mm -hmm. and she's having a hard time trying to conceive. And I'm thinking to myself, and you know, I'm not married. And I don't right. have a child. So sometimes you have to watch what you say because people care. That's a very sensitive topic. But I was like, maybe you should like go to the doctor and maybe he should look into what's going on with his system because if you're doing exactly. everything you're doing right and everything's going fine, maybe it's not you. Right, right. And uh, most of the time, society has us believing, you know, when you go through history, like, again, something else I looked at is just the historical aspect of fertility. Mm-hmm. And more times than not, it was just, it was, um, the idea was frowned upon to blame the man. You know what I mean? Right. So if a couple was infertile, they would just automatically say it was the woman, even if it wasn't her. And I think we've, you know, unknowingly brought that into modern society when we talk mm. about fertility. Um, so, you know, the fact that number one, it ended up being a male factor issue in our relationship. Also the fact that we were super young. So people yeah. kept dismissing us. It was just, you know, a double whammy for us, but absolutely like the conversation, I think, um, for the doctor, she was just like, well, this is what we should have done at first. You know, you guys let me know what you want to do. My husband is such a gracious guy. Like he is amazing. And so he was like, you know what? Like, maybe she's right. Maybe we should look at it and see what's going uncomfortable with it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, That's good. So he did. Yeah. So he went to do the first testing, um, which is basically like a deposit of sperm analysis. Mm-hmm. And the results came back extremely low on all wow. fronts, morphology, count, different things like that. So she said, well, maybe like you guys didn't abstain long enough because that first test, they told us hey, we had to abstain from sex for at least 48 hours. Mm-hmm. Um, so she said, this time we'll have you abstain for five days. And then oh, wow. um, <laughs> we'll, you know, yeah, we'll, we'll have him do another analysis right. and then boom. So after the second one, the results came back exactly the same, actually a little bit less, which was pretty much nothing. So most of the sperm were not surviving beyond being observed. So it was a pretty severe issue. So we were then told we had severe. 
What was the reason um, why? It? So, so really it could be, it's a number of things. And unfortunately we haven't nailed down what the issue is for in our case, because um, we were told that it can be one hormonal mm-hmm. or two, it can be environmental. Like maybe they're wearing um, underwear that are too tight mm-hmm. or they're taking showers that are too hot that are, you know, killing off the sperm count. So a lot of wow. different environmental things, you know, the way they eat, their diet and stuff like that can yeah. affect it. But it can also be hormonal in that they were born with an issue that's affecting their ability to produce um, viable sperm. Wow. So it really, yeah. So so in this case, we were told that he would have to go see um, a urologist, with the, which the urologist pinpoint which of the two issues it was. So he said it's always cheaper to test the hormone first to put him on prescription medication and watch it for six months and then after six months if the counts have changed okay then we can assume it's some type of hormonal issue like a woman who has uh, endometriosis or something like that if it's something related to environmental um, he could also change that as well but again they would have to monitor and see so in our case um, we were told, you know, he would be monitored. He was given Clomid, which is a popular fertility med, typically given to women, but it does help men with um, hormonal issues as well. Mm-hmm. And then um, <laughs> we didn't get to try it, though, because a week after that, um, when his prescription was getting mailed to us, I found out I was pregnant with what? our daughter. So so it was crazy <laughs> because we were 20%, you know, the average couple has about a 33% chance on a month-to-month basis during ovulation to conceive. We were told we had about a 1% chance of ever conceiving Damn. naturally on our own. And you own. found out you was pregnant. And I oh. found out I was pregnant. And so I took a test, same thing. And it got darker and darker though this time. And I went back to my OB and I'm like, I'm pregnant. And she's like, boo, no, you're not. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry to tell you. And my dad and my husband were out in the waiting room. And she's like, I don't think we should call them in yet because I seriously doubt you're pregnant. Like, she was forget, nervous. I did, right. Yeah, she's like, I did the testing. I know you cannot be pregnant. So I'm like, I'm telling you, I'm pregnant. I already had it confirmed at a smaller Christian clinic. Like, I'm telling you, I'm pregnant. So she pulls out the ultrasound machine. And sure enough, there my daughter was like just a oh small little God. peanut wiggling <laughs> around on the screen. And she's like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> so it was crazy. Because, you know, we were told we couldn't conceive naturally on our own. And then miraculously, we did. And here she is. Girl, look right at now. that. <laughs> yeah, I tell you. All the that time. It's amazing. amazing. Yeah. So how long did you wait <clears throat> until you became a surrogate after you, after you had your daughter? So where the surrogacy came in was, oh, what's the I actually... Yeah, so it's a process. Um, You do have to do like a lot of uh, footwork before you actually get matched and stuff like that. But when I actually when the idea circle circulated back um, with after I had my daughter, I was like, just in awe. I was just over the moon every single day. And you know, again, I was so really active in the trying to conceive community on my Instagram. And it just hurt me to see so many of the women that had been there with me before. Um, still trying to have a baby. Of course, some women had had children before me. We're still very close. But then there were still several women who were still waiting, even wow. after I had given birth to my daughter, which means that now by this time, they've been waiting for three to four years. You know what I mean? Wow. And so it just hurt me. And I was like, I want to do something. So I talked to my husband and I'm like, what do you think about me being a surrogate? I had told him about the whole high school experience of not seeing any black women uh, 
become a surrogate. I don't see any pictures. Like they don't look like me. How crazy can I be to think that I could do this? Um, and again, that was a limitation I placed on myself. Right. But after I had my daughter as a home water birth, which is also something else I had never seen done within yeah. my immediately, you know, in my immediate community or very much within the African-American community, I was like, you know, I could do this too. Like, because maybe there are other women who want to do this and they're thinking the same thing I thought, that I don't see anybody else who looks like me. And so there's no way I could do this. Um, so my husband's like, you know what? I don't know much about it, but I know you've always wanted to do this. And, you know, if God blesses to where we can give another couple this this gift, wow. I'm 100% for it. So I then started doing research for agencies within my state. And a um, couple of the things I was looking for is um, how long they had been in business, mm -hmm. um, how carefully they looked at the legal contracts between the surrogate oh, and that's the good. intended parents. Yeah, because you you hear so many nightmare stories of surrogacy, and a lot of times it's because the contract wasn't done properly. Girl, um, you watch and, too much Lifetime. Like, right, please. right. <laughs> I do. I really do. I oh, I watch the horrible one. And and the thing is, it intrigues me. You know, I was a psych major in college, Girl. so human behavior intrigues me. And I'm like, I don't want to be that person on life. I, I don't want to be some story. Right, right. So I was like, yeah, I don't want to be that person. I don't want a great thing to turn into something awful. Right. Um, you know what I mean? So I also was looking at, you know, who started the company, um, yeah. things like that, and what they did to protect the, the surrogate as well as the the parents. Um, and the agency I ended up going with um, actually was started by two attorneys um, who had already been doing adoption and surrogacy contracts in Oregon. And then wow. they decided to create an agency and they had already been around for close to 30 years. Oh, so wow. they had so many success stories. They took extreme care with matching the surrogate to the parents. Um, they have a great system that they use so much so that I was matched with the very first couple that they introduced to me. Like we were the perfect uh, match. It, it was crazy. So I, those were things I was looking for. And so that's kind of what jump started it is my husband told me, go ahead, I will support you. And I, I ran with it from there. So when they match you, is it you and a couple in a room and y'all just get to know each other? <laughs> it can be that way for me. It was not, even though my intended parents are only three hours away from me because of the fact that um, the mother is an oncologist, she has a pretty crazy schedule. So we initially tried to meet in person. Um, we were going to meet halfway but her schedule wouldn't allow. So we ended up doing it through Skype. So a lot mm. of parents who um, are in different countries, because surrogacy is used a lot internationally for couples in China and Japan, things like that. So um, you can do it virtually, or if you're close by and local to each other, you can do it in person. So like walk us through like the process of the actual day. Like were you nervous? Like did it hurt when they like actually insert the egg in the sperm mm -hmm. inside of you? Yeah, so that's the embryo transfer. And by now, I've been on fertility meds. They've suppressed my ovulation because, again, I'm a gestational carrier, so they're not using my mm -hmm. suppressed my ovulation. They're checking my lining by ultrasound. You know, I'm having follow-up appointments every two weeks to once a month. Um, and so mm -hmm. by the time, you know, the embryo, they schedule it and looming date on the calendar. And I wow. always figured it would, like, hurt because you see, like, if you watch it on, you know, like YouTube videos and stuff, it just seems really involved. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it just seems involved. So I was really nervous, but I was excited too. And the parents were going to be there with me. My husband was going to be in the room as well. So, you know, I was just like, let's do it. And so when I go in there, um, the doctor's like, okay, she confirms who I am. They want to make sure that they don't make a mistake in right. putting the wrong eggs in me. So they're like, okay, parents, can you verify that these are your embryos? 
we're doing and a boy and a girl. She didn't, <laughs> have, she didn't have one baby. She had twins. Twins. <laughs> right, right. So they're like, let's make sure it's a boy and a girl. You guys went in there, right? And so that all worked out. And um, so she puts in, like, it kind of looks like a catheter a bit. But they just put it in. I didn't feel a thing. It happened so quickly, literally in under 30 seconds. I did not expect that. Um, and wow. she's like, okay, we're done. And I'm like, wait, what do you mean you're done? And she's like, two little dots by your lining. And what? I'm like, it can be that simple. You just put someone's children inside of me. Like, it should take longer than 30 seconds. Right. So they were all laughing at me. And when I got up, I'm like holding my stomach, like walking with my legs, you know, together. And they're like, we promise they won't fall out. Like, you're fine. Just go back to rest so I was on bed rest for two days just to make sure that I had my feet up and I was taking it really easy by the third day after the transfer I felt my uterus it felt heavy like how early pregnancy with my daughter so I figured I was pregnant I took a home pregnancy test it was really faint but it was there and I kept testing over the next couple days and then I text the parents on Christmas day because my transfer was December 18th of 2017 and by Christmas day I was able to text them and say Merry Christmas you guys are having a baby we didn't know if both took though by that point a home pregnancy test won't tell you that but I knew I was pregnant I just wasn't sure um and so we confirmed that about uh four weeks later that it would that both babies took and it was twins wow so is there like did they because I know when you watch these movies on Lifetime like did they have like a certain meal they wanted you to eat like they had like a certain like restriction Good question. Mine did not. So they do on your questionnaire when you're filling out to be a surrogate, you kind of talk about what's your daily lifestyle like, what do you eat, how often, like what's your daily schedule like. So they have a lot of that information before. If they mm-hmm. want you to eat something specific, they can make a request. If you say no, then they're probably not the best match for you and they'll move them on to someone else. But for me, I eat a lot of organic meats, organic vegetables and fruits. I have a daughter. I'm very careful about what we eat. Right. So I don't think that was really an issue for them. Um, and even if I do eat out, it's like on a Friday or Saturday night when my husband have our, my husband and I have our weekly date nights. And right. so, you know, they weren't really worried about it. They're like, Hey, do your thing. Like if you crave, whatever you crave, we don't care. Like <laughs> just get the baby some food and we're fine. So my parents, again, were very, very understanding, very, very supportive. And that's why it's important to make sure you're matched with the right person. Yeah. Um, because it's just, it's just a huge deal. And I also feel like they, did they like the fact that you was married? They did like that fact. Yeah. So yeah. they did like that as well. A lot of times, surprisingly, one of the things that they will look at is um, your relationship status. So if you've yeah. been married and divorced, or if you're in state, or if you're single, and you're just not planning to get married, they're not going to um, rule you out if you're single, and you're just not, you know, marriage just isn't for you. But it does help a lot if you're married, because Again, as a surrogate, you need a lot of support. That's another question that they will ask and re-ask is what type of support system do you have um, in place to help you should things get difficult? So when you have a spouse, a lot of times it makes it easier because you have someone in the house most of the time who can help you if something gets complicated. Right. So what were some of the challenges you um, encountered while being pregnant with twins? Woo, okay. (laughs) Yeah, because for me, there was quite a few. And I feel like, (laughs) So I'm looking at your pictures and stuff. I feel like you're, mm-hmm. you're kind of small framed. Mm-hmm. So when I saw your stomach, I said, Whoo, Oh my goodness. My stomach was exploding at the end. Every time I look at the pictures, I'm just in awe because it, it doesn't like now that I'm on the other side of it, I'm like, Oh my gosh, how did I ever do that? Yeah. But I'm so amazed with myself that I did. And I look at the babies when their parents text me updates and I'm like, 
oh my gosh, like that's absolutely beautiful. But man, from the very beginning, so like I said, three days after I felt like I was pregnant, I took a test. Um, I was pregnant. Um, within about five days after that, I was already having morning sickness, which was new for what? me. Yeah. <clears throat> Forgive me. It was new for me because I did not have morning sickness with my daughter at all. I had zero complications with her. Wow. So I was already feeling sick. I started throwing up right away. It was just awful. So I'm like, this does not feel good. This is not so normal. So it was just really like from the very beginning with them. Oh my goodness. I was sick as the dog. It was crazy. And then, um, so first it started off with just morning sickness within, by the time I was, before I was six weeks pregnant, my morning sickness was so extreme with them. I had to be taken off of work. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I was on, in bed already. And then um, they started trying to prescribe me um, morning sickness medications. By oh, the, it was by that the bad. End, yeah. I, by the end, of, by, by halfway through the pregnancy, I had already been on five different medications and none of them were successful in taking away the morning sickness. The only one that worked somewhat was a medication called Reglan. And um, that one worked a bit, but mm -hmm. I still couldn't keep everything down. Um, and then around eight weeks, I started having um, random bleeding spells to the point where I thought I was miscarrying. And I was crying. I remember the first time it happened, it just gushed everywhere. Oh, and my God. I ran to the shower. My husband was just coming home from work. And I, I was just standing there in the shower and I started crying <clears throat> because, of, you know, of what had happened to us before. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm losing their babies. I'm losing their babies. I just kept saying that. And he's like, honey, it'll be fine. So he comes. He, like, cleans me up. We go to the emergency room. And they tell me that they can't find anything wrong. They're, they, but both babies are fine. Like, both babies are sitting there rolling around, totally oblivious to what I just went through. Wow. But I'm bleeding, so and I have no idea why. So ultimately, we ended up finding out way later because I had to be sent to a specialist. Um, which again, you, you typically go to for, for twin pregnancies close to halfway anyway, but I got sent to a specialist later on. They found out the source of the bleeding was a subchorionic hematoma, mm. which is basically where like some blood kind of clots around where the sacs are, the embryonic sacs are. And ultimately it will last a lot of times they resolve themselves automatically by 25 weeks at the latest, mm -hmm. but it does cause bleeding spells. But for whatever reason, because of the emergency room not having, um, you know, better equipment, they could not see it whenever they were doing the ultrasound. So they just kept saying, we don't know why you're bleeding. So, and before 20 weeks with any pregnancy, they're just going to send you home. They're not going to mm. do anything to help you. They're just going to be like, well, if you keep them, you keep them. If you don't, then come back in and we'll clean them out kind of thing, which is oh, really disheartening. Yeah it's, yeah. it's pretty cutthroat. So they're just like, you know, there's nothing we can do, like, but they're fine. Every time they would tell me they're fine, but we don't know why you're bleeding. So later we found out that's what it was. It did resolve itself around 24 weeks and it was no longer there. And I didn't have any more bleeding, but I had to go on um, pelvic bed rest, which means I had to abstain from sexual activity. And I basically had to, I couldn't do any like heavy lifting or anything. I had, I was like moderated bed rest. I could still get up and do little things, but I couldn't right. lift heavy things. I couldn't do much of anything. So, yeah. Wow. Um, and then aside from that, the last final complication was I developed um, preeclampsia at the very end of my pregnancy. In the middle of 35 weeks, they found I had protein in my urine, 
which is the first sign, and I started having elevated blood pressure. Not to the point oh, where it's right. critical. It was uh, preeclampsia without severe effects. So they would just monitor me several times a week. And, and when all me, this was going on, you never thought, mm-hmm. like, why did I get myself? Why did I do this? Oh, my goodness. I cannot tell you how many times I thought that. <laughs> I cannot tell you how many times I did. I, especially when I had my toddler. And she'd be like, Mommy, are you okay? Like, the day that really got me, I was sick. I had to run to the bathroom. And I couldn't close the door. And my toddler came in. And she's like, Mommy, are you okay? And she speaks so well for a two-year-old. She's like, Mommy, are you okay? And I said, Mommy's fine. But she had tears in her eyes. And she was oh, rubbing my, my back. God. And that just, like, broke my heart. Um, but again, I had a great support system. I have my husband. I live less than, a, you know, a, a five miles away from my parents. I'm the oldest of five, so I have several siblings. Right. My church family was really supportive of me doing this. So they would call me and say, hey, what do you need? What can we do for you? Uh, my pastor and his wife are going through infertility. So they understood and they respected what I was doing. So mm. it was just amazing for me to have the support. But sometimes I was just like, oh, my God, I cannot believe I did this. And then you know, one o'clock in the morning, two o'clock in the morning, they would wake up and they would want to play and the whole house is quiet. I'm the only one up and they're just rolling around playing in my stomach. And that's when I'd be like, well, this is why I did it. And I'd send their parents, you know, videos in the night and their parents would send me pictures, you know, uh, videos of them reading and in, in Japanese and um, singing yeah. like nursery rhymes and That's it was just the cutest thing because yeah. I was like the woman body is amazing because you were right? a black woman and you <laughs> right. gave birth to two Japanese two babies. Japanese babies it still blows my mind but I love it yeah it's I so was cool. just like she can't be kidding me like this is crazy yeah I thought that was like the most beautiful thing I have ever mm-hmm. seen and two Japanese babies yep yep and and people my grandma you know she's old school so when I first told her she was the only one that was a little on the fence she's like baby she there is no way yeah she's like yeah. there is no way honey you can give her to babies that are not ours she's like you're giving away our babies and I'm like no <laughs> I'm not they won't be related so when she saw them she was like oh yeah they're not ours <laughs> wow so I was like yeah it's amazing that you know two babies that otherwise would not have been here because their mom just didn't have you know she's older she couldn't carry them herself she tried she had tried everything else you know, now her babies are here in her arms for her to love on and to cherish forever. And that just, that trumped anything. I Like I say now, even with all of the complications, it was horrendous, but I would do it again to see the look on her face because yes. she's so appreciative. Amazing mother. The dad is so involved. They were always meant to be parents and it's not fair that dance, you know, physiological mishaps or whatnot that they can't have children you know what I mean right so two babies that couldn't be here are now here as a result of what I was able to give them so it seems like you still like you have a really good relationship with them like do y'all talk regularly like how the relationship has been since you gave birth so we talked more when I first gave birth I was pumping for them I pumped um breast milk for them for two months Oh, wow. And so, yeah, so um, that helped me and it helped the little girl who was in the NICU for two weeks. So she, they're all doing fantastic now. So now we talk about once a month. Um, mm-hmm. She's really busy, obviously, with two babies. Right. She will send me, she'll, you know, especially on holidays, I'll check in. So like Valentine's Day, um, I text her and said, hey, you know, how's your first day with your two newest little loves? She sent me pictures of them, like, you know, eating oatmeal and just crazy things like that. So it's super cute. And she's just like, oh, we're just loving them. She'll tell me how they're doing developmentally. Um, she'll tell me how their checkups went. So like I told them, I was the type of surrogate that when they asked me what type of relationship I wanted, I told them that um, 
it was really dependent on the parents because right. of what my husband and I went through. I didn't want them to feel like they were obligated to me. This was a gift I was giving them. So if it meant they wanted to keep in contact with me, great. If not, and they were just like, thank you for what you've done, but now we're going to go live our lives. We're not sure if we want to tell our kids right now if that they conceived by a surrogate, you know, carried by a surrogate until they get older or whatever. I've been to just enjoy their gift, whether that included me past the pregnancy or not. Um, and they made the choice to include myself and my family. Like they made the choice to continue to send me updates and stuff like that. But is it not hard to get attached? It, you know what? For most people, that's, <laughs> that's the biggest question I get all the time. Like, how did you not get attached? Or how do you, I don't care if they're not mine, carrying them for that long creates an attachment. Right. Not for me, not in the way that you think because of what I, again, what I went through. I think I was the ideal surrogate because my attachment is with the parents. So it mm. is very difficult to not talk to her as often as I was, but I'm okay talking to her once a month. It's not devastating, but I have a great relationship with the parents. And I felt like the baby's nanny. Mm. I felt like the baby's nanny. So like for me, it was like a, a nanny that cares for them a lot, but it's not, I don't, I don't feel like I'm missing anything now that they're gone with their So parents. you don't have no attachment really. Yeah. I don't really have an attachment. I it wow. felt weird how attached I felt to my daughter. I was expecting to feel like at least an inkling of that with them. I didn't. When I looked at the pictures, it was a complete disconnect. Like I had wow. to keep reminding myself that I had actually carried them because I didn't feel that type of con cute babies, but it's like seeing a stranger's baby on the street. It didn't evoke any type of emotion. Do like you think that. because they don't look nothing like you? It's possible, but I've had some surrogates who the baby doesn't look like them and they, they were attached. Um, mm. But I think it, again, because of what I went through, my attachment was more with the parents. Yeah. So I feel like, oh man, I miss talking to her with the parents, but I don't feel that way necessarily about not seeing the kids. So. Right. Yeah, it was a little weird. So would you do it again? Absolutely, I would. <laughs> Even after everything I went through. Wow. Again, the end result was exactly what I had thought it was. And the fact that I have dreamed about doing this for so long only made me feel like I stepped into my calling. Like it was your calling. Like I was always there, supposed yeah. to. You know what I mean? I was right. always supposed to be a surrogate. And so I always, I love pregnancy. I just don't want a million kids of my own. Like I said, I was the oldest of five. So I was always like, nope, two is my limit. Um, but even after I had my daughter, that feeling to have a second child kind of went away. Some people mm. tell me it'll come back, you know, oh, when she's older, she's more independent, it'll come back. But for now, I don't feel the need to have another child. So, I mean, it's just like, I want to continue giving this gift since I still have the urge to be pregnant. I can use that again to bless someone else. So I'm actually in the, the throes of beginning my next journey. I'm in the planning process right now. I actually have two agencies. Um, one was my original agency, but another agency that reached out to me after seeing my profile on Instagram and was like, hey, you're the perfect surrogate. You've already done it. Like we want to, you know, fly you out to LA oh, um, wow. to, to, you know, meet with a parent. So I told them, you know, I'm not doing it until next year. I am taking my doctor's advice to wait my 18 months of healing. Right. Um, but yeah, I plan to do a journey in early of uh, early in 2020. Wow. Yeah. Oh, but what are some advice that you would give to women out there who wants to become a surrogate? I would say make sure you're doing it for the right reasons, because mm -hmm. like I said, the money is not really <laughs> worth it if you're looking at it as, you know, compensation for the amount of work you're doing. Make sure you're doing it for the right reason. The money make it better? It does, I think, make it better, because especially if you're going to if you're going to have a complicated pregnancy um, and sometimes it is a little more complicated because we're on in. Um, 
artificial hormones. Right. Um, but it does make it better because it gives you a way to bless your children and your family. Right. Um, and a lot of times the parents want to bless you. So there have been stories that I've heard where surrogates get paid the lower end, like maybe 25000 because of the state they live in. That's They're, low? The parents will actually, can you hear me? I said, that's low? Yeah, right. Yeah. So depending <laughs> on the state that they live in, that they're getting something like 25000 and the parents will actually buy them more stuff and give them more money after the babies arrive because wow. they felt like it was such an amazing gift that they got. So the parents really want to give the surrogate something. We're giving them something that you really can't yeah. on. And they're extremely thankful. So I would say, number one, do it for the right reasons. Number two, do your research. Be very careful about the agency you select um, to make sure that you and the parents that you're doing it for, they're protected. Those are the two biggest things I would always recommend is just do it for the right reason. Make sure you do your research and pick an agency that's going to protect you and protect them. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, I think this was amazing. I definitely learned something new. I'm um, glad. I'm glad. This was like, I think you're like a God's blessing. Like, <laughs> oh, thank you. Because <laughs> anybody that can carry somebody else baby and just give mm-hmm. it's like a gift that keeps on giving I think exactly it's such, a, such a beautiful story I'm so yes. happy you were able to take some time out because I know you have a little busy one in the background oh, yeah she's all <laughs> over the place right now but thank um, you for allowing me to share I think we need more light when it comes to surrogacy and the fertility you know community all together so thank yes. you for having me no, guys, if you have any questions, please email me at hello at theprofessionalhomegirl.com. I would definitely get this out to my guests because I think this story is beautiful. And you just never know when you're going to need somebody to help you in a way that you never thought that you can be helped. So on yeah. that note, until next time, guys. Later. Bye. AT&T Connects and Ode to Podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the driving to work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.